My name is Ashanti, and welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. Today, we have a special episode for you. Today's episode is a crossover episode uh, with um, our friend Julie Calderon um, at the Contemplative Corazon. So excited for the conversation that you're going to hear today. You know, the Taking Off the Mask podcast has been a space where uh, men of all ages, all backgrounds come together and have these really heartfelt conversations around these masks. And one of the things that we've been doing lately is we've been envis envisioning what it would look like to talk to more educators. Um, as you know, I'm, I'm a former teacher, administrator, and now I work on the outside of schools in really trying to really help with school transformation. And it's really, really beautiful when we get another educator who hears us and sees our work. Now, Julie was my former, I can say my boss, right? We were colleagues first. We both taught at San Lorenzo High School, my first full-time teaching job. And then she became an administrator. So she became my administrator. She was um, in charge of the letters that I was in or teachers that I was in my letter group. And, um, and I even got sent to the principal's office once, you know what I'm saying? I got sent, uh, maybe I sent myself kind of, no, I, no, I, I don't know how, I don't know how you want to define how it happened, but there was a situation and I may tell you right here what happened. So, um, it's kind of embarrassing looking back because I'm I'm more mature than I was then as a, a new teacher. I was a little hot-headed, you know. I, I had a lot of edge in me. I, I came from the construction industry. I came from, like, get it done. Like, I don't want to hear a bunch of, like, nonsense talk. But I'm also a teacher because I'm teaching called me into that work. So long story short of the situation is a young man on my way doing something on one of my prep periods is cutting class. I tell him to go to class. He's like, whatever. He's not really cutting because the bell is just about to ring. And so, but he's not on making his way to class. So basically he's already late and he's not making his way to class. We can say he's not cutting, but he was goofing off, right? And I'm like, dude, go on, let's go, let's go. Get to class, get to class, get to class. He was like, man, shut up, Branch. He was like, shut up. Before he said, shut up. I was like, shut up. Like, and so me being in my emotions or in my ego, I was like, don't tell me to shut up. What are you talking about? Take your behind the class. So I walk closer to him as I'm telling him this. And then he tells me, I better get the out of his face. Now, he filled in the blank. I, I have a blank right here for your ear pleasure. But he didn't leave a blank. He said, you better get the out of my face. And I'm like, instead of me just like taking the high road, which is, as a teacher, what we would encourage teachers to do. <laughs> I wasn't there yet. I wasn't I wasn't that mature yet. And I stuck my chin out in his face and I said, make me. Yeah, yeah, I'm not there anymore. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I, I, I thought about it as I was sticking my chin out into his face, telling him make me, like almost daring him, that that's not a good idea, Shanti Branch. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not a good idea to close your eyes and put your chin out in front of somebody. That's not very smart. Like, you're the smart one here, aren't you? You're supposed to be exercising more intelligence. And and I didn't at that moment. I, I recognize it. In the moment, I didn't recognize it. I was thinking about it a little bit in the back of my mind, but I was really deeply connected to the fact that he had cursed at me, told me to shut up, and then he had, like, kind of threatened me, right? Like, in so many words. So I went to the office and we walked to the office and I had to get some help and blah, blah, blah. And then we get to the office and then, the you know, I go back to class and I tell her the story. And she said, wait, what did you do? I said, well, yeah, he, he said this to me. And so I told him, make me. And she's like, you can't be threatening students. I said, I didn't threaten him. I, I, I didn't threaten him. I invited him to do what he said he wanted to do. And, and so deep down, like as I look back, as much as I like can be semantics with words and did I actually threaten him, I basically put him in a very difficult position in front of his peers. I know. I, I know it looking back in the moment I was more just navigating an emotional situation. And so his dad comes up to the school and um, we have a meeting and I tell his dad exactly what I said and what I did. And his dad was like, he said, what to you? He said, okay. And so the situation is that I could have, you know, de-escalated the situation. Like as educators, we have opportunity and we have a responsibility to de-escalate situations that 
young people are escalating because sometimes their emotional, their frontal lobes have not kicked in. They don't have all of the ways of being able to back away from a situation, but we do. I do. And it's important that I exercise that. Now, looking back, and if I talk to teachers today, I, I tell this story sometimes from time to time because I'm not as proud of it as of all of my teaching moments, but it's important to, to be able to know what happens when, our, when we let our buttons get pushed, when we let ourselves be off guard, when we're not being really conscious and focused about our, 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 our thoughts and our mind and how we show up to work because we're human too. We got stuff going on in our lives and we have these moments of boom, like just active reaction. And so anyway, I'm, I'm talking more about me than I am about Julie, but I, this conversation is her interviewing me on her show. And so what you're going to hear in this conversation, uh, some of you may know some of my teaching story and how I became, the, how this work has grown since 2004. You know, Ever Forward is going to hit 20 years coming up this next spring. So I am excited. And sometimes I look back and I'm like, how did, I, how did this happen so fast? Um, how did this happen so fast? So um, super excited for you to enjoy and hear this conversation with Julie Calderon from the show Contemplative Corazon. I don't think I shared that story with her. So you know, it's another story you get to hear about this teaching journey. And my, my role this year is to inspire teachers. Um, we are going to be, I am going to be creating a, a, a coaching program for teachers coming up probably in early 2024, which I'm really excited about. And it is because I think teachers have a need to be able to be supported in different ways. And I think our, our, our normal traditional system of professional development is not doing that right now. Professional development is how we make opportunities and experiences for educators to get better at teaching, but also to get better at self. My own self-regulation, my own classroom management, my own management of self. Not just how I will I manage all those students I'm teaching. It's how do I manage myself when I'm having a rough day? How do I manage my my emotions when I'm having a rough season? What how do I manage seeing more in students and they see in themselves and pushing against and pulling against that 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 demand on their attention from their phones and their friends and their devices and their their stuff? So if you would like to listen to Contemplative Corazon. We'll put the link in the show notes below, and we invite you to go and check out her show and all the other educators and people in her life and, and, and her surroundings that she's talking to in these conversations. Folks, if you have not yet made a mask, I invite you to do that at millionmask.org and just know that um, it's anonymous. You know, on this conversation, and you're going to hear me taking off my mask a lot in this episode. Um, the reason I'm really excited about this episode is because Man, I talk about this journey of education in ways that I have not talked about it before because I'm talking with Julie and we we go way back. She goes back to my first year teaching. And so having someone who's seen my journey and seen me grow and not only has um, seen me as an outsider, she even after she left the school I was at she, and became an administrator herself, she brought me into her school to do work with her students. And um, the work has continued to just continue giving back. So Thank you for being a part of the show. There's a lot of new stuff about to happen over the next month. So I want you to get ready. If you don't, if you know anybody who's an educator, teacher, counselor, professor in college, please share these next couple of episodes with them. There's some really exciting things that we are excited to share with the world. And if you have any ideas, suggestions, and things you want to see and people you think we should talk to, please send us a message. Let us know. And we look forward to continuing making this show something that you come back to every week. See you soon. Be well, and thank you for taking off the mask. Bye now. Welcome to the Contemplative Corazon. I'm Julie Calderon, Mujer Evolving. Peace is possible. Join me as I share personal reflections and conversations with others as we seek to incorporate contemplative practices into our busy lives and our busy world. Listening to episode 27, Holding Space for Healing. Hello again. It has been over a month since my last episode was shared. 
Of course, I have been busy with Carnaval San Francisco, which you have heard about in previous seasons. And if you haven't already done so, I urge you to go back and listen to my Carnaval-specific episode called Finding Peace Within a Parade. It was a wonderful experience, and you will likely hear about it before the end of this season. For today, though, I have a special episode, a reunion of sorts, very similar to last episode, episode 26, featuring Nicole Elliott. If you want to go back and listen to that, today's conversation features Ashanti Branch. You may have heard or seen him on Good Morning America, The Kelly Clarkson Show. He is a longtime friend and colleague, and I'm very excited to share our conversation. Thank you very much to my special guest, a longtime friend and former colleague, teacher, educator, activist, Shanti Branch. So Ashanti, please introduce yourself to my audience by letting them know a little bit about yourself and your life's journey. Oh man. Well, first, thank you for having me. I I think if um if I remember correctly, I got called to the principal's office a few times for some of my uh, my shenanigans as a teacher. <laughs> but I am thankful for you, and I'm thankful for the journey. You know, my story is my dad died before I was born, and as I know the story, looking back in the time, I didn't know I grew up a very emotional little boy in Oakland, California, in a city where boys are not really allowed to have emotions. Definitely not sad and fear and worry and worry about other people and all of those empathic emotions like anger and funny are okay. Um, but what I learned is that three months before I was born, when my father died, my mom, as her grief began to settle in, uh, I began to swim in sadness. Mm -hmm. I was swimming in the emotions of that she carried. And I grew up here on the, I come out as a very emotional little boy in this community where it says, nah, that's not okay here. And what I realized is that all the things that I was feeling was everything. I got stuff I didn't want to feel. I didn't want to see people fighting across the street and notice that. I didn't want to see people sad in a grocery store and notice that. I didn't want to notice all these things. But I was noticing all kinds of emotional overload of things happening around. And then I realized that it wasn't welcome. And so I had to turn those things off. Actually, I converted them to anger because anger was okay in my community. If you're a little right. black boy, being angry is actually respected. It's almost expected. Yeah. But it definitely is not uh, the other emotions are not welcome usually. And so a uh, journey to, you know, high school, middle school, middle school was a rough time. High school got better. I, I got my act together, realized I wanted to take over the world. I wanted to be rich. I was, um, the, my, my one story about it, about the journey is um, I tried to join a program called Upward Bound in my 10th grade in high school, because when I was into school, high school started at 10th grade. So. Um, I had already doubled up on math in ninth grade. So I would walk from Calvin Simmons Middle School, which is in Oakland. I would walk to Fremont High School so I could take the the first half of Algebra 2. Wow. It was the only way I was going to get to calculus by the end. And so basically I was highly motivated. And I get to 10th grade. There's a program called Upper Bound going to start there. I'm like, I'm going to join. It's my application in like two days after I got it. Right. The lady called me in. I thought it was for an interview. And she was like, well, Shanti, you have a great application here. But uh you actually don't qualify for this program. I said, what are you talking about? You help people get to college. I said, that, she said yeah, but this is a first generation student. I said, we're poor. We're poor. She's like, well, that may be true, Ashanti, but uh, your mom on her paper here says she went to, she, she's a teacher. I said, so what does that mean? They said, well, if she's a teacher, that means she went to college. And I was like, hold up. Hold oh. You mean my mama paid for education for us to be this broke? Like, you mean... I just couldn't understand that anybody would choose a profession where we're barely making ends meet. And you chose that. Like that just couldn't, it, it, was, it didn't make sense to me. So I was clear that day that Shanti Branch would never, ever, ever be a teacher. And uh, <laughs> that was my, my journey. It was going to be, I was going to be rich and I was going to retire at 45. <laughs> <laughs> well, amazing. When you tell God your plans, right? It's like, Oh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I got you. Go ahead. Let me, show me how you're going to do this. Right. <laughs> um, so I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, major engineering. I was on my journey, started making big money. And then I realized there was a calling on my life to be a teacher. And uh, I ran from it for two more years, got bigger jobs, made more money, project manager. And then the, the, the calling on my heart became even stronger. Just really, I was running from it and it was pulling me closer. And I became, a, I went back to school, Mills College, became a teacher. 
and first year teaching, I was at San Lorenzo High School. Yes. And uh, <laughs> that's that's where this teaching journey began. Every four club started that year. And uh, as you know, as a first year teacher, I was doing a horrible job. I was disappointed that I had smart kids in my class failing. And I'm like, you're too smart to be failing my class. And I like you. And I was just couldn't understand how smart kids were failing classes. I just didn't make, didn't make any sense. And um, I realized that what I needed to do in class, I couldn't I couldn't communicate with them the way I needed to communicate with them in class because, you know, they had a, this image they had to keep up. And smart wasn't cool, so they're all trying to be cool. And that means you can't let the teacher talk talk to you any old way, so you got to talk back to the teacher. And I was a hothead. You know, I just came from a construction industry. Yes. I didn't have no 15-year-old talking smack to me. Are you out of your mind? And, um, <laughs> and that's what got me to call to the principal's office so many times. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to deal with a with a with a new a newish assistant principal that uh, <laughs> had to help you on on your way there. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Oh man! So those are the journeys of that work, right? Right. And, uh, but I'll you know what, there, I, but... what I'm hearing, you know, as you as you share your life, is first of all that you had this corazón abierto from from the get go. You know, from birth, from childhood you were looking to feel the emotions that you were listening to your heart, but you were also really fighting it. Right. And so then you finally give in to the call, right. That call to serve that call to heal, to teach, but it's a rough road, right. It's not an easy thing. It isn't like, boom, we go in and it's all perfect. Right. Like we're going to have those moments where students defy us, or we're going to have those moments where we're working our behinds off. And yet we're not seeing our students have those results because as you, as I know you're about to share, there are things, there are other ways that we can serve kids, right? And sometimes the classroom isn't always the best vehicle to help kids. Sometimes kids need much more than a classroom teacher. Sometimes they need to do some deep work. And so I would like to hear about how you mentioned Ever Forward. So it yeah. started out as, you know, something you did at San Lorenzo High and we'll talk a little bit about where it is today. Yeah, I'll give you the context of how it started. So doing a bad job as a teacher, I, I'm I'm tired of like, I'm going to go back to engineering. I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, teachers, are, you know, veteran teachers are like, Shanti, give it two years, you'll get better. And I'm like, I, mean, I got to be broke and bad at this for two years. <laughs> like, there's no way. Like, I signed up, you know, for the financial part. I said, I accepted that part. But to be bad at the job, that I didn't sign up for that part. And I was like, I'm not willing to be in here for two years with smart kids failing my class. So I told these young men, I'll buy them lunch. I said, I'll buy you lunch once a week. In exchange for lunch, you teach me how to be a better teacher. Like, what am I doing wrong? Because I know the math. I love math. It wasn't that I, I didn't know the math. It wasn't that I wasn't prepared. It wasn't that I didn't care. It was that I was somehow missing a connection between smart kids showing up every day doing nothing. It made no sense to me. And so the Ever Forward Club started out of me as a need of like trying to improve what was happening in education. So, you know, that's 2004 we started. Uh, we started trying to do really wild things at a school where, you know, the kids we were working with, they, they're not joining clubs. They don't they don't do club stuff. Right. But we were getting them in there. They were there every day. And, made, and some of them later in life were like, oh, I just came for the lunch in the beginning. But deep down, <laughs> as they began to build the community, right, that that connection, they began to realize like you don't not show up to our meetings and just think that it's okay. So if somebody didn't show up to a meeting, you're going to get a phone call. You're going to get a pop-up visit. If either one of the young men are coming visit you or I'm going to show up at your house, because it was almost like if you could, if you could not show up somewhere and no one missed you, no one checked in why you weren't there. How long would you keep going? How long before you realize my presence doesn't matter here. And we need those young men to recognize that not only are your your presence matters here, you made a commitment and we're going to hold you to that commitment until you say, I don't want to do this anymore. And then we're going to leave you alone. But when you make a commitment to us, to this place, we hold you to that commitment. And so long story, you know, fast forward, that's 2004. Um, we started doing really wild things. I'll tell you the 24 hour relay. <laughs> wild. Right. College trip. All these things are people like what's going on. And teachers would be upset sometimes because we got students who are, you know, below 2.0s going on a college trip. And they're like, how is this kid getting to go on a college trip? I said, they need to see that it's possible. Okay. You've never seen that it's possible, but you got the brilliance and talent to be able to do it. Maybe it's not that you couldn't or that you don't or that you won't. It's that the, the vision of what it looks like has never been seen. And so we began to just really create, we wanted to create a space and ever forward where school could be fun. 
like for stu- for students who always like school, it seems hard to believe a kid would not like school. For teachers who always like school, it's hard to believe a kid would come to your class every day and do no work. But I know what it's like to not like school. I know it's like to have teachers who don't like me, who didn't like me, and I return the favor gladly for teachers who didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I did was fast forward, you know, what we were beginning to do. When I, in 2007, I went on a Fulbright Fellowship to India. Yes. Um, and when I came back, uh, we had, you know, our school at the time had new leadership. And I, I had uh, I felt a lot of pressure in a lot of ways that that was making me really disconnected. And so our journey moved. You know, I, I it was a, it was the hardest day of my life. I remember having to tell my students in the club that I was going to leave and I didn't want to leave. I, I felt the need to leave to protect my own wellness, my own mental health, my own being as a person who works hard every single day. And I felt like as an engineer, I got. You didn't have to like me. You paid me really well. As a teacher, you don't pay me well. So you better at least show me some respect. At least that's what I that's how I took the context. And I was feeling like some some different ways happening that that journey. And I became I went I left and I, you know, I, I trained somebody to try and take over the club. And, you know, the club has stayed lasting since 2004. We're 19 years this year. Ever forward is an organization now. It's a its own. Um, we have a fiscal sponsorship, but we have a nonprofit. Um, we have a global movement helping people Ooh. make masks around the world. It, it's been a journey. You know, it's hard to conflate those nineteen years into this one sentence. But I'm really trying to say, like, I have been on a journey of trying to figure out how do we transform how young people connect to school, and how schools connect to young people. And here's what I know for some kids: um, some kids, if you're a teacher and you don't show up. That kid will make up their own homework. Right. Some kids, you can take a manila folder to their house with a pencil and eraser, and that kid ain't doing no homework. <laughs> when you have a teacher who is teaching a multiple array of different types of kids in a class, you have to be able to know that every kid's not going to receive it the same way. But my job was to build a space where young people said, I'm going to give my best. It may not be at the level that person does it. It may not be at the level that person does it, but I'm going to give my best. And that's what we've been doing every year since 2004 is helping young people find a way to give their best, be confident in that. And, you know, when we first started ever four, there was no social media. There was no cell phones in every pocket. There was none of that nonsense. Like we have a different thing to contend with now that even I that I didn't deal with as a first year teacher. But we have to keep growing as adults, too, because right. our kids are experiencing things that we never we sometimes it's hard for adults to imagine what it's like to have somebody that you don't even know making fun of you. And if and you feel something about it, but if, but you feel something. <laughs> right. And I think that that I didn't have to deal with that as a kid. I, if somebody would say something bad about me, they had to walk up to me and say it or pass a message to somebody who I knew they couldn't be across the world. Johnny two, four, four saying something about me because <laughs> there, there was none of that. Right. And so I think that sometimes as adults, we, they forget how much pressure it is to have people, judge you and say something about you that are not even anywhere around you. And that pressure is different when people get a chance to behind a wall of, of anonymity sure. be mean and cruel and evil and, and hurtful. And so I, I, I feel, you know, I, as a kid who was bullied growing up, I feel for kids who feel that pressure. And we, and I ever forward, try to help young people see you're not alone. Don't, we don't want you to feel alone, but we need to help you learn how to talk about it before it gets those levels of of of, of pressure that you begin to feel like you're you're going to explode, you know. So that, you're making that, a yeah. huge difference. I've seen you make a difference, you know, ever since 2004, right? You know, it started as what I love is that you um, not only did you you start you start this and it's a dialogue. Help me be a better teacher, right? And so that in and of itself is is just so wonderful that you offered that for young people, because so often we tell them, we prescribe, this is what you're going to learn. This is how you need to act. This is how you're going to solve your problems. And I love that you were humble enough to say, hey, I want to learn from you. How do I become better? You help teach me. So that was an invitation. But I've seen, you know, you've done you've done amazing things like you had such amazing college going rates Mm -hmm. from your organization. Um, I know that some of your young men that you work with have have become, Mm -hmm. you know, facilitators and and trainers within your organization. So I hope that you you share a little bit about some of that, some of those outcomes. Yeah. You know, um, 
So in 2007, right before I went to India, maybe one year before, we started the 24-hour relay. And uh, a friend of my mom, who was a teacher, she was a she was a curriculum designer and uh, everyday math. Everyday math is her organization. Her name is Jan. Uh, she's up in uh, Canada. She's in Canada. She's in Oregon, up that way. She was in Oregon. <laughs> and um, Jan was like, Ashanti, you know, I, I want to give you some money for your organization, but um, I want to, I want you to, I want to, you know, what is some data that you have? And I said, huh? Data? I'm a math teacher, but I ain't no data. I'm just, we're having lunch every week. I mean, the data is expensive. It's expensive feeding teenagers. That's the data, you know? <laughs> she was like, no, but what's your data? Like, what's, I said, I'm not taking no data. Like, what, what data are you talking about? We <laughs> we have lunch every week. We come together, but you're not collecting any. I said, I have a hard enough time feeding these young, young men. And she said, well, look, how many of your students graduate? I said, well, we've only had two graduating classes. And she's like, well, how many of them have graduated? I said, all of them? It didn't make sense that what she was asking because I wasn't even thinking about what I was doing as this thing to track data. She's like, all of them? I said, well, what are you talking about? Like, you don't get to not graduate from our club. Like, you, what are you talking about? That's that's the bare minimum you do. And she's like, okay, let me ask you this. How many of those kids went off to college? I said, all of them? She's like, wait, stop. How, how do, what do you mean all of them? She was shocked. I'm shocked because we're confused about two different things. She's confused <laughs> that I'm not like celebrating this data. In my mind, I'm like, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm thinking about how do I get the ones who I'm not reaching? How do I? And so basically um, what has what happened in those early days, she was like, are you saying you have 100% high school graduation? I said, yeah, but there's only like 15 of them so far. She's like, Shanti, like, and so we were having this dialogue about math, which I love, but I had not looked at the numbers. It was because if you are part of a of a, a space where you're giving your best is expected, graduating high school is just a bare minimum. Right. Going off to college, whether it's a trade school or two year, four year trade, military, whatever it is, going off to the next step is only is is what you're supposed to do because you have big dreams. But if you're in a community where dreaming big is not 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 norm, then graduating high school seems almost impossible. Going to the next step seems dumb. Why? Why would you go to a college if you hate high school? Like it doesn't make any sense. But we created a place that where school became fun outside of the classroom, so that you can see that working hard in the classroom has value. And I think that's how it happened. So you know, long we look back at our data for the last you know nineteen years, we have over ninety percent of our students go off to two year, four year um, trades or trade school, military. Um, they have several that started their own businesses, taking over family businesses. Some have, you know, started off in college and realized they wanted to do their own thing. But for the most part, we have all of our students graduate high school. We've had some interesting situations where our club works is because a student is a part of our club until they decide they don't want to be a part anymore. We can't force students to be a part. They don't sign a contract that they have to stay forever. It's like we are building a, a space for you to be connected. And so all of our students graduate high school. Um, and most of them stay in the club every year that they they are part of it. So, you know, as our movement has grown, our organization has grown, and I left the classroom and became a executive director from the outside, we have been building this movement. You know, our work got featured in a documentary called The Mask You Live In. Some of our young men at Fremont High School were a part of that. A lot of our young men who were from the original club in San Lorenzo, I'm still in touch with them every day. You know, I look at that original picture that we took with them on the couch in my classroom it's always a beautiful picture to look at, you know, like I see my wall of photos when I was an engineer and I had money. I used to see that as a wall of pictures on my wall. Like there was a time when I could go see the world like this, you know, <laughs> but, but it was a beautiful experience. And those young men, you know, they're now in their thirties, their fathers, their business owners, their engineers, their uh, one is a teacher. We have one young man who became a teacher. Uh, and so it's really beautiful to really watch their journey. And, you know, watch their kids and they call you and say, Branch, you're about to be an uncle. And you're like, Aww. what? And, then, you know, just being a part of building this space with them that after 19 years that they still reach out, they still text, they still check in from time to time. And that's that's something to be said, you know, and I, and I, and I appreciate it so much. And you've been part of their healing. And I think that it's been a healing process for you as well. Oh, right. Thanks. Because in building that healing community you have helped all those young men heal whatever wounds that they were recovering from. Um, and it, and you're paying it forward, right? Because like you said, a lot of them are, are, are giving back to the community. 
um, as as fathers, as community members, and it's beautiful. I can't believe it's been has it been nineteen years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that that. I remember that, before we started two thousand and four, and I started the year before that. So I've been in education twenty years, um, and ever four club started my first year teaching, and it was wow. it was it was wild. I, I remember that first year um, when I was deciding to do a master's program. And I, I know that, you know, it was it was tough that like, people were like, you're a first year teacher. You can't be doing a master's like you need to like teach. I said, I, I'm not going to be here forever. I go, how, how long do you want to be teaching before? I didn't know what was next. But in my mind, it was like I already got the grant. I got the scholarship. I got the the like I'm already in study mode. You want me to like get out of study mode? It was hard enough going back to school after being an engineer for five years, because when I leave work <laughs> as an engineer, <laughs> I go to my house and I kick back and I watch TV. I play video games. <laughs> like in study mode was hard enough. So I was like, I'm already in the process of like going to the cafe and reading. So I'm like, I'm doing this thing now. And like, what are you going to research? I'm like, I got plenty of things to research. You, you don't see, there's plenty. Of, I don't need to wait five years to find problems in my classroom, <laughs> you know? Right. I, I can see things I'm concerned about right now without even first year teaching and that. And that master's really helped me to really begin asking real critical questions about my about my my own teaching, but about what I was seeing and what why is this happening and not making assumptions, but like going deeper. And a healing part, when you talk about that, like I didn't know what I was building in Everfor was actually what I needed when I was in high school. Mm. I didn't know. So I started Everfor 2004. I didn't go to my first men's team meeting till 2010. And when I walked up into Roberts Park, 50 men in a circle, 7 p.m. on Tuesday night, fire pit in the middle. I I, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is what I've been built, trying to build. Right. To see men in a space that you can trust, that are opening up, that are talking about their heart and vulnerability. No one's laughing. No one's snickering. No one's side talking. Like, what? Like, I was building it, and I didn't even have never had it myself. And I think that's the interesting part about healing. Like sometimes it comes through you. Like I never planned to be in teaching. I mean, if I look back at the journey, I'm like, how in the world? Because I was chasing money. I was, I look, I'm telling you, for those who, have you ever been poor? Like, let me tell you, like my family was on food stamps. I'm talking about old school food stamps. I'm talking about monopoly money looking food stamps. I'm talking about like, if you go in the store, you pull out some purple money, everyone know you broke. Like, you know, today is like a, a car. People slide a card and it's like, you click it as a credit card. No big deal. I'm talking about Monopoly looking money. Look it up. That's what I used to walk into a store with. And that feeling was horrible. So I was like, I'm just trying not to ever end up there. Like, I, I didn't know what else I was trying to look for. But I think that that part of me, like trying to fight to not go back to where I started my journey. And then when I became a teacher to feel like, what are you doing, Ashanti? And I, and I struggled because. I had never been budget. I had no budget as an engineer. I didn't even have no budget. I just, I want it. I buy it. <laughs> Bill comes, I pay it. Right. I became a teacher. You get paid at the beginning, of, at the end of, I don't even know, the beginning or end. It's too, too infrequent you get paid. All yes. I think is that there was no more month at the end of that money. You know what I'm saying? Yes. There was way too much money at the end of the, well, I don't know, too much month at the end of the money. That's how we used to say it. There was way too much. I was like, wait, I got to stretch this thing out for how many weeks? And I realized that, man, this is this makes no sense. And so I had to keep a balance between my frustration because because in the engineering world, your 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 badge of honor is your your salary. Your badge of honor is this company you work for. This badge of honor is the perks you get as a teacher. There's there's not much of that. Your 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 salary is posted online. Go look at it. There there's no there's no you know. And I think that the healing of my own soul of like. Are you doing this to yourself, Ashanti? What are you, what are you doing? Are you self-sabotaging? Are you all those things called me to the table? And when young men came to the room, I got a chance to hold space for them. And I and I think in the early days, I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know what it meant to hold space and not try and hold it all for them. I was actually trying to hold it all for them. Yeah. And I don't know if you were there that year, if you remember when I had to, when the ambulance had to come and pick me up. Yes. Because I was, I was, I was holding it all for them. Right. They come to the circle. They would let their stuff out. I would hold on to it for them, and I was like, "I got you. I got you. I got you." Week after week, they they were feeling lighter and lighter, and I was feeling heavier and heavier. But I wasn't doing it to hurt myself. I was doing it out of love. I was doing it out of care. I was doing it out of trying to 
trying to show that I see you and I hear you and I got you. And I didn't have a place for my own stuff. I didn't have a place for my own stuff to carry. So I was carrying my stuff and their stuff. And I was like loaded. And they remember, like it was yesterday, I never forget Aries was my IWE. Uh, we're doing that circle that day. Now, they, I'm not only doing it with the club. Every once a quarter, once a semester, with my classes, we're having deep experiences of like talking about stuff. And I remember this day we had a circle. And I walked in the class, had a pain in my leg. I went to the gym that morning. I said, man, maybe I hurt my leg on the gym. I had this pain in my leg. And all of a sudden, the day goes, third period. We're on block schedule. So I'm, I'm at the middle of the day right before Right before it was right before lunch, right 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 before lunch. It was right after lunch, and um, I remember um, Aries, who's my IWE student worker. I was like, um, "Hey, uh, call, um, go call the office." I will have him whisper. I said, "Go call the office and tell them to send an ambulance." <laughs> and he was like, "What?" I said, "Listen, just keep it cool. Go to go to the phone, call the office, tell them to send an ambulance because I'm about to pass out." And so. Like we're in the circle and the students are doing their stuff and they're talking, they're sharing. I said, hey, everybody, we're going to close the circle a little bit early. I'm going to have you do this. I'm going to have you all go outside. And my kids never even got to leave when the bell rang. The fact that I was sending them outside of the room before the bell rang, they were like, you trying to set us up. What you doing? I'm like, <laughs> oh, just go outside. Just go outside, get some fresh air. Uh, we had a portable. I was on a portable by a handball court. So it was not a whole lot of other rooms to disturb. So stand out there by the handball courts and the bell's going to ring in about five, 10 minutes. You'll be fine. And they're like, what? And as soon as you really knew me, we knew something was off because that's just not what branch does. You don't let nobody leave early. So, <laughs> so I, um, oh, it was all the, as soon as they all leave, I said, y'all stay outside. But every four members were like, what's going on? I said, no, I'm good. Just keep everybody outside. Don't let anybody come in here. I locked the door from the outside. And I, as soon as they walked out, I laid on this bean bag and I literally, and then what it was, was I, I think as I look back and in the moment, they didn't find anything. The ambulance came, picked me up. And kids were like, what's going on? I heard people screaming, what's happened with Mr. Branch? And I didn't know what was going on, but I knew I, I was about to lose it. And I, what I had been doing, I think, as I look back, is I had been holding all of their stuff. Right. And I had no way of knowing. I, I didn't. I didn't think about no energy and all that. I wasn't thinking. About, I was just a teacher giving the best I could to these young men who were willing to open up their hearts. And I opened mine, and I held on to all their stuff for them in my mind. So it was more proverbial. You can't really hold it, right? But it's it's a it's an energetic hold. Right. And because I wasn't letting go of it, I was carrying it, and I just kept piling on. And uh, yeah. And then later, a couple of couple hours later in the hospital, I heard people saying, we're looking for Mr. Branch. And the kids showed up at the hospital in the emergency room. <laughs> and they're like, okay, fine. He's over there, right? And all of a sudden, four ever four members walk in. Oh. It was, it was, uh, it was a wild, it was a wild day, but it, it, it felt good. And we had a fundraiser the next day. Like, you know what I'm saying? I was trying to, I because remember, I'm a, I already, my salary thing had already changed, but I was still trying to, I committed to them buying them lunch every week. So where's the money coming from? We weren't a nonprofit. We were, I didn't, we weren't, a, we weren't really even a club. We were just a, I was a teacher trying to do some stuff that was different. And, and I was like, we have a fundraiser this weekend. And the kids were like, we already canceled it. I'm like, you cannot cancel it. Cause in their minds, they're thinking you're sick. You can't be still having a fundraiser. In my mind, I'm like, we can't keep having lunch if we don't have no fundraiser. <laughs> you know? I, I wasn't telling them, I wasn't telling them what I was worried about. I wasn't telling them that I was, I had depleted all my savings in engineering. I didn't tell them. I, oh, I feel it right there. I feel it. Wow. Oh. It was hard. Yeah. It was hard. It was, it was, it was hard. It was hard. It was, it was the work that I was called to do. Like teaching called me. I didn't want, I didn't want that. I wanted to be wealthy. You know, I wanted to never worry about money. And I was often worried about money. Like, and, I, and most days I would be go home, like the janitor would be like, Mr. Branch, I get out, you gotta go, you gotta leave. They would kick me out because I was there until dark. And they were like, but I lock up the buildings. And I'm like, well, I'm not finished with this ever forward stuff because while I'm doing daytime stuff for my teaching, I'm doing evening stuff for ever forward and trying to make ends meet. And then we're meeting, and I was like, how long can I keep this? So I was carrying all that by myself carrying all of their stuff and then i get sick i'm not really sick i don't know what it is but i'm, I'm, I'm something happened 
And I'm like, we can't cancel the fundraiser. What are you talking about? Like, it was just like a, it was a crash of my, my soul, you know? So, I mean, the, it eventually got, it did get canceled, but it was hard. It was hard. It was a hard, we ended up redoing it, but it was, in my mind, I'm like, how am I going to keep this going? I committed to them every week. I couldn't be like, hey, by the way, we can't have lunch anymore because I'm broke. <laughs> like, I I couldn't bring that. And I'm like, okay, where else am I? And I remember, I think that was a year I got a side job at Chili's down the street. That's right. That was like, I had to figure something out. I was like, and it was it, it was a sacrifice. Like, I look back. I don't think, I, I don't ask for any credit about that. Like, I Somebody else pointed it out to me, but I don't usually point it out myself. But it was a, I made a lot of sacrifices to this organization to help these young people who I saw so much in. And, and man, it's a, uh, it hits me sometimes. Sometimes, you know, like those days, some, some of those moments back in the day was, was real tough. And, um, yeah, as I, oh, yeah, the, the work of being a healer is heavy work. You know, it's it's not glamorous. I mean, like you said, there's there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of heartache involved in helping to heal communities. And and so, how do you attend to yourself these days? Because you're that that was then, and and you've learned from that experience. So, how do you make sure to protect your own heart, your own health, while still giving what you give to these young men and now to educators? Because now you're training teachers. You're training leaders to do this work with young people. But how do you take care of Ashanti Branch? How do you ensure that you're not getting in an ambulance because you're carrying so much? How do you take care of yourself? Yeah, you know, those uh, those lessons were hard to learn sometimes. You know, I think um, I what, what I'm what I'm doing more now than ever before is I don't think of rest as being lazy. Like I, I used to have a concept that sitting around doing nothing, sitting around reading a book is laziness. And so I would always be doing stuff like always, like I would leave work doing more stuff at work, doing stuff, like always just doing stuff, doing, doing. And it was not in my being that I was content. It was, if I'm doing then I'm content. And that's where it all kind of, you, I realized that I was, I was telling myself a story that, and it's just, it was my, it was my, my rearing, like my, in my house growing up, my mom hated people doing nothing. So she would be making up stuff all the time. It was her, maybe that's the way she was raised, right? But like you can't be just sitting around watching TV while she in there, like she in there cooking, you better be doing something, pretend, pretending to be productive. Like it was never like, oh, I just get to live around. Like it was, <laughs> I think that deep down, I always got that the doing was how I got honored by doing everything I did, not just who I was, not in the being. And I really tried to erase that when I started ever forward. But I think right now what I've had to practice doing, I have to actually, it's a practice. I have to keep practicing because I'm bad at it. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a doer. I'm a hard worker. I run an organization, but I tell people no one works harder than me. Not as a brag, as out of a, like, like, like you're not going to outwork me. <laughs> as an organizational leader, you, people should be outworking you. You should be being a part of the strategy. You should be using your mind to grow the thing. And I'm more of a doer. So I have that. I'm now having to learn. So what I do now is, um, and, and I started this probably, we start, when did we start? Well, then we started probably started doing before the pandemic. Me and a friend of mine, we have this thing called radical self-care. Love it. Made a commitment to each other. Sean Jenright from, uh, I want to say he's from, is it from San Francisco State? I think he is a professor. He has this uh, concept called radical self-care. And I went to a conference called Free Minds, Free People once. And it was at that conference where I heard him talk about this idea of, it's sad that as educators, we oftentimes, um, we have a badge of honor about how exhausted and tired we are. And he said, what if you were to walk into the staff meeting next week and you would say something like this? I am so rested. I feel amazing. <laughs> I slept all weekend. Right? Like the idea of that almost sounds foreign because that's not the, the battle scars that people have as educators. And me and my buddy, we, we started doing this thing called radical self-care. So we made a commitment once a month. We got together. Either we went for a meal, for a hike, for a massage. We went for something to self-care ourselves. And if one of us couldn't make it, if one of us had to cancel, the other one had to go without them. 
and that other person still had to make it up. And it was a commitment to our to each other, but to ourselves that this work is hard. And if we don't put a priority on our own wellness, that we're not going to last. And so I it started off as a forced thing and then it became more of a regular thing. So, you know, um, like I'll go get a massage, go get a manicure, pedicure. I'll go for a walk. I'll go and have uh, some food at a at my favorite place. I will. I mean, I don't go to too many places, but, I, you know, it's like a thing where I take time. And as much as I want to pull out my computer, my pad and take notes and do stuff, I sit and Good. I just be. Yes. I'm drawing now more than ever. I'm, Wonderful. I'm You've come to the right place. <laughs> the contemplative corazón is all about being. Or we're trying to be anyway, right? That's That's been the ongoing theme here um, on the podcast has been how do we with our busy lives and our drive to be, to, to do, right? Not to be, to do. How do we attend to our spirit, right? Because you're right. Whether whether you're a teacher or um, a doctor, all of us suffer from that, right? Especially, you know, in, West, in the Western world, we all are driven to do and accomplish. And I've always been really drawn. I mean, yes, I do all those things, but I would probably be the most likely to be like, well, I had a great weekend. I meditated and <laughs> people looking at me crazy. But um, it's interesting because I've noticed in the last, especially in the last five years, especially post pandemic, now people aren't looking at me so crazy. Now we've got principals looking at me going, wait a minute, <laughs> she's been right this whole time. <laughs> Like, come on to my podcast. Let's talk. I mean, I, I completely relate to you. And I, for the longest time, I think struggled with, God, am I lazy? Is that my problem? Am I lazy? Am I not driven? Am I not passionate about education that I'm I'm doing all these other things? But I think you hit the nail on the head that we have to be content and accept being and love being and Society tells us day in and day out that that's not enough. And our kids hear that it's not enough. Like I, I hear myself sometimes telling my own child, like, you better get those. And and yes, of course, I want her to get great grades. But then there's also that side of me that says, hey, wait a minute. You also have to remember that just being is good. You know, that just her being is good enough. Like it's not about she's got to have a certain GPA and she's got to go to a four year and she's got it because that's me. Right. That's what I want to project onto her. It's a struggle, though, for sure. I struggle. I struggle with that. There are times when I'll I'll catch myself, and other times I won't catch myself. So um, it's it's a struggle for sure. But yeah, I'm glad that you are doing that radical self care because it's so needed. And and we all we'd have a much happier world if all of us did that. Um, I think it's a great skill to teach students. I actually just yesterday, my school we had our third annual wellness retreat. We've been doing these wellness retreats to start off um, the January semester. And, and, you know, the kids are a little skeptical sometimes. Like, what are you, what are you got? Why are we, why do we have to do this? And then they're sitting there coloring or doing art therapy or meditating or what have you see what a difference that makes. Right. And it's modeling, right. It's modeling for students that we attend to our spirit. We attend to our mind. It's yes. Academics are important. We want you to recover those credits and graduate. But we also want to attend to you as an entire person, right? There's more to you than just than just that. So yeah. um, I tell young people in that same work is like you're only going to be young these four five years. You're going to twelve to say 18, 12, 13 to sixteen, however you count the numbers. You're going to be young for five years, but you're going to be older a whole long time. Like we're getting better at health and medicine. We people are living longer. You're going to have a whole long life to live if you don't just tend to these five years of getting some skills and you can always get more skills later, but these, these are some important years, not just for education, but for wellness, for well-being. for uh, there's a, there's a, um, there's a channel um, called rest um, nap ministry, the nap ministry on Instagram. And I have, uh, uh, I, somebody shared it with me once and I was like, Oh my goodness. And there was a language that I wish I, I I'm, I'm trying to incorporate. I didn't have that language before, but the idea is that, Rest is resistance. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Rest is resistance. Okay. If I want to resist the system that's causing me to feel like I'm not enough, 
I need to make sure I make time to rest because rest is what they tell you that you shouldn't be doing, but you got to rest in order to get up enough energy to be ready to take on the next day, take on the systems that are oppressing us, pushing in on us, pushing, pulling us in all these ways, you know? So, yeah. Thank you for asking that question. And I, I know one of the things that you may not think of this as a, as a healing practice, but I know that you are very, you travel to certain places over and over again as part of your healing. Do you want to talk a little bit about which what which places it is that you kind of go back to to kind of replenish? Yeah, so I have a uh, I have several godchildren. I don't have any biological children, but I have lots of godchildren. So I have godchildren in Mexico and in, in the state of Jalisco. Three godsons. They live in San Juan de los Lagos. They're artists. They make comic books. So I am I'm the I'm the sponsor of their comic book series. And um, I got to go see them in December. Uh, I've, I've probably been to Mexico maybe 25 times, if not more. And so um, I have another guy in Mexico City. He's now 22. Wow. Um, and it's been beautiful watching him grow. And he's a high, he hides, you know, he has a power when I text him. Back then I'd use a calling card. So, you know, it was old, <laughs> old school. Yeah, there was a calling card to call. Now I just call him on the phone. He's like, you don't answer my call. I'm like, you better answer my call. You know what I'm saying? But, but that, that that's a place that I really feel. I speak Spanish, you know, so I, I feel like I, it's like another home, right? I get to go and relax, kick back. Uh, I didn't get. To, I only got five, six days this year, so it wasn't really. I mean, well, the end of last year, so I, I probably really needed to take more time off. But um, I strategized. My strategy was a little off, so I didn't give myself enough time to really rejuvenate fully. But this year I made a commitment that I'm not waiting till December 24th to take a trip somewhere. Cause last year I didn't, I waited the whole year to take six days and that wasn't enough. I am going, I'm making a commitment to, I think it's like, I think it's like, I'm going to every quarter, I'm going to take a day to like, I'm going to block it on my calendar and it's going to be, it's going to be a rejuvenation day once yeah. a quarter. So four times this year, I'm going to take a day twice this year i'm gonna i bring a buddy of mine has a strategy that i'm i don't have it memorized yet because it's still really new and it sometimes it sounds scary i'm taking a day off like it sounds even odd to even be like say it right like <laughs> how dare you think you're taking a day off to do nothing <laughs> and i'm not taking a day off to do nothing i'm taking a day off to rest because rest is the resistance yeah. that i need to put in place so that i can continue to focus and um it should be more than that, but once a quarter, and then I'll take a weekend. I'll take a weekend, literally unplug twice this year, and then I will take a real vacation in 2023. Wonderful. Yeah. So those are things I've made commitments to myself, you know, to, so I, I, I don't want to burn out, you know, I, I don't want to get bitter about all. I want to enjoy, I don't want to wait till I retire to then try and enjoy life. I don't right. even know how. You I don't know how you retire from a nonprofit. I don't know how that works, really. But, but I, you don't. <laughs> you, don't. But you don't forever for life for life. But that's the journey this year. Thank you so much, Ashanti. This has Thank been you. a wonderful, emotional reunion of sorts. I know we are in touch over the years, but this was a really special conversation, and I'm so grateful that you were able to join me. I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you so much. I appreciate you as a mentor in education for me. And I thank you for everything. You are most welcome. Gracias for listening to the Contemplative Corazon. Please share this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Find me on social media, on Instagram or Linktree at Mujeri Falvi. Gracias por su apoyo. Thank you for the support.